Wonderful. It's going to be time for the Word, and we have a guest speaker with us this evening. We have um, Pastor Stuart and Pastor Irene, and uh, they're the senior pastors of a live church, and that's in Lincoln in the UK. So they're with us all the way from the UK this evening. And uh, Pastor Stuart's going to be preaching, and he's married to Irene, and they have three children and five grandchildren. And he's the leader of the Ground Level Network and a member of our advisory board here at Hatfield. And they're going to be spending a couple of days with us as a church, and it's great to have them here. So, Pastor Stuart, if you could come up. Um, I'm excited for the word tonight because there was a storm that almost kept Stuart from coming, and so he managed to get through the storm. And so this word, you know, came through the storm all the way from the UK to South Africa tonight, and I want to pray for him as he shares with us. Lord, thank you for Pastor Stuart and Irene for being here with us, and we open our hearts to hear what you have laid on his heart for us tonight, Lord. Tonight, Lord, will you strengthen him? Will you help him as he preaches your word? And we we pray that it will land in the right place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Yes, it was, uh, I think it was minus five when we left, and uh, to walk into 30 degrees is quite pleasant. And uh, we weren't sure whether we were going to make it. Um, Lincoln, the area where we come from, uh, there were no roads that were passable, no main roads that were passable only three days ago. So it is great we've made it, and... Uh, uh, there was quite a bit of a delay getting here, but um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. And can I just say what a wonderful sense of the presence of God, great band, great musicianship, fabulous. And uh, to have people of, of this caliber leading us in, in worship, I think, is a real honor. And sometimes when you're very close to things, you don't always appreciate how wonderful it is. So I think that those who serve us, we do need to acknowledge that and thank God. Uh, for the gifts that he has placed among us in the Church of Jesus. Now, I want to uh, thank you also for allowing a couple of old people in. We really do appreciate it. It makes us feel good. Not young, but good. And so we're grateful for that. And um, it, we do. The older you get, you know, you can move very quickly from the prophetic to the nostalgic. So me and Irene, we, we, we tell stories all the time and cry a lot. So just so that you know that... Uh, We'll move into uh, some teaching. I'm going to take us to Ephesians chapter 4. And I know it's been a long day and there is going to be a measure of teaching in here. But my prayer is that what I share tonight from uh, the best book in the world, the Bible, uh, Ephesians 4, I'm going to look at the first 16 verses and pick out some important things that I hope will be helpful to you. We're going to talk about life in the body. This passage is all about what we call the body of Christ. Now, very easy, it's very easy to get hold of pictures and ideas, but not always really recognize the fullness of what we're talking about. And the amazing thing is that um, we are told that in Ephesians 1 and 2, that we are in Christ. We've been seated with him in heavenly places. We are in Christ, and we become the body of Christ on the earth. Imagine that. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? That you and I are parts of the body of Christ. We all know that the picture of a body is very important. There are many parts to the body, and all the parts are significant and important. No part in the body is obsolete. In fact, certain parts that are not seen, uh, God honors and blesses. 
And very often when we think of body ministry, we tend to think of the gifted and the skilled and the people that are on platforms. But actually, my message tonight is about the fact that every one of us who are followers of Jesus are in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ, which gives us a real sense of identity. I don't know what you think about yourself, but I do know what God thinks about you. You are hugely important. You are unique in his presence. Not one of us have the same fingerprints. You are unique. And sometimes we don't understand our identity. One of the things that I've struggled with through my life is insecurity. You know, will I be accepted? Can I do this? Can I do that? When I first came into ministry, which was the last thing really I thought I would ever do, speaking to crowds, I never imagined I'd do that. And sometimes we have a sense of insecurity. But when we understand that we're placed within the body of Christ, and if God calls us, he gifts us, it it gives us a sense of identity. It gives us a sense of purpose. It also, of course, should give us a sense of dignity in life. This is not anybody. This is the body of Christ. We are brought into the body of Christ. And my aim tonight is to help us to see that every one of us who are in Christ are vitally important to the life of the church. And God wants us to understand that together. So in this chapter, we see uh, throughout this picture or image of the body of Christ. Sense of identity, a sense of dignity. Now what I would want to do is share five things very quickly from this passage Uh, so that we see the importance of being a part of the body of Christ. The first thing is this, responsibility within the body. All of us who are placed in Christ, who are in the body of Christ, must understand today that because we are part of the body of Christ, there's a huge responsibility uh, within that. In chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here the Apostle Paul urges the readers, that word could be begs, this is very important, uh, to live a life that is worthy of the calling. Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, I think, talk about belief, the things that we believe. We're placed in Christ. We're seated with Him in the heavenly places. And when you come to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it moves on to, if this is true, then how should we behave? It's vitally important that belief systems and behavior match up. A lot of people look at Christians and they say they're hypocrites, which, of course, there's truth in the fact that we are flawed people. But what we have to understand that we are urged here to live a life worthy of the calling. Not just to be uh, in name only Christians, but in the way that we act, in the way that we respond, in the way that we speak. And it's important that we are men and women of integrity. At this point, let me just mention that I think it's right to honor Dr. Billy Graham. Some of you perhaps were not brought up in the era of Billy Graham, but Billy Graham in his hundredth year, what a great testimony, a hundred years of service as an evangelist in the Church of Jesus Christ. I was asked on radio only last week, uh, what was it that made uh, Dr. Billy Graham stand out uh, above his contemporaries? 
And I said, in my humble opinion, I don't think it was necessarily his great preaching skills or the fact that he spoke to thousands. I believe that the thing that marked Billy Graham out was integrity, that he was the same on platforms as he was at home. And people looked for flaws in his life, and he was not perfect, of course, but people looked for things, but they could not find anything. And that's a wonderful thing. And I believe that all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, are exhorted to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And therefore, that will be enacted in our behavior, in the things that we do and how we live. Verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. I wish it said, be slightly humble and gentle, or do your best to be humble and gentle. But here it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's a responsibility upon us all to live as Jesus wants us to live. These qualities of, of life that are mentioned here, there are five of them. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. That really marks out the life and character of Jesus himself. And therefore, we as the body of Christ, we would expect that these character traits would be seen within our lives and within the body of Christ. So often, there's a big difference between belief and behavior. And uh, we've all got to develop. And when we first become Christians, you know, we've got to work at it. We've got to work at a new way of living. Uh, all of our perspectives, as we heard today, have to change and have to shift. But as we begin to grow in the Lord, so we should live a life that's worthy of the calling. And uh, I believe that this thing here in Ephesians 4 if we are to be part of the body of Christ, there's a responsibility attached. A lot of people don't like to be responsible. They like others to be responsible. But I believe, and I felt tonight to just say to everyone here, I really believe it's time to step up to the plate. It's time to begin to push forward in your faith. You may have been disillusioned by certain things or disappointed by certain things, but it's time, I believe, to press into God and to see what he will do with you. So the first thing is responsibility within the body. Secondly, in this chapter, you find unity within the body. Unity. Verse 3 says, make every effort. This takes effort. He's urged us in verse 1 and now in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then it goes on to say there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did anybody spot a particular word that comes over and over and over again? Seven times the word one is used. One. Now, when you first read that, you're reading all these ones and you're trying to make a little bit of a sense of it, and um, it might be helpful to break this down a little. talks about one spirit. Firstly, our unity, of course, is based upon one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Individuals, but one God. So there's one spirit, 
Therefore, there's one body, just only one body. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And therefore, there's one uh, faith, one hope, and one baptism. And there's also one God and Father of all. Therefore, there is one family. A man called John Stott, a great theologian from the UK uh, who recently died, when looking at this, he kind of turned these words around slightly so that we can get hold of it because we tend to think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he put it like this. There's one Father who creates one family. One Lord Jesus who creates the one faith, one hope, and one baptism. And there's one spirit who creates one body. So make every effort to walk in unity. Unity within the body of Christ. Now we all know in theory this is how it ought to be. But how many of us know that even in a local fellowship, disunity and disharmony is very easy. You just fall out. You just have a different viewpoint. Or, or someone ruffles you. And then somebody says something. And therefore, it's, it really does need working at. And I believe because there is one body, we need to understand that I will, by my attitude, affect another part of the body. And it's essential that there is unity and oneness in the body of Christ. It's therefore strange to me that there are many, many denominations and splits and schisms. And through church history, there have been many that have divided, uh, often over good things, of course. But it is remarkable that if there's only one body, why there are so many different views, opinions, different groupings, different denominations. I've read a, a, a little about this, and some denominations have one or two members because they are right and everybody else is wrong. And therefore, it's important that we understand there really is only one body, which makes a, a difference as to how we speak about other churches and the church up the road and other churches across Pretoria and the area. There really is only one body. It's vitally important that we walk in unity. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't have differences. We'll come on to that in a minute or two. But how we speak about fellow brothers and sisters, it's so important that there is, we understand there's one body, unity in the body of Christ. Jesus prayed for it, lives for it, and uh, we need to believe that, that unity is important. It's important among a group like this, it's important in Hatfield, but it's important beyond that. And across the world, we need to understand that unity in the body of Christ is essential. Unity within the body. Responsibility, unity. And then the third thing that Ephesians 4 talks about is diversity within the body. Diversity. Aren't you grateful that everybody's not the same? Aren't you grateful that everybody's not like you? Aren't you grateful that there's incredible diversity in the body of Christ? In fact, I want to suggest to you that there is no uh, organization on the face of the earth that has such an extensive diversity in terms of nationalities and ethnic groupings and backgrounds and behaviors and the way that people think and social standing. There is no 
place on the face of the earth that has a one focus like the church of Jesus Christ has from every nation and every tongue, every ethnic group, all of us are able to declare Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a great thing. You'll find it nowhere else. So there is diversity in the body of Christ. What I'd like to just show us for a minute or two, I just want to do a little experiment with you. Uh, these are pictures, many of them are found in Ephesians, but uh, others are certainly found in the Gospels in the New Testament. You know, if I were to come to you and say, can you describe the church, we'd have all kinds of different comments. If you asked an unbeliever, certainly in Britain, they'd say, it's a brick building with a spire and a cross on the top. All of us, of course, know that it isn't that, but it's to do with people. However, to get a definition of church, one that everybody understands and sees, I want to suggest to you that the church is too wonderful and too beautiful just to have a little uh, statement, this is what the church is, that everybody says, this is what the church is. That's why in Ephesians, Paul paints pictures and visual pictures of different aspects of the church. So he talks about the church. We've looked at this uh, tonight. We're looking predominantly at the body, the image of a body. We all understand that because we've got one. So you've got body, uh, you've got family, the family. And in each of these pictures, God is at the heart of it. So uh, Jesus is the head of the body. Then we come to family. God is the father of the family. Then we find temple, uh, the image of a temple um, with living stones where God's presence comes and Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is in all of these pictures because it's him that's building the church. Now, I know this is pretty simple stuff, but it's vitally important we understand how, how wonderful the church is. Then you've got bride, the bride of Christ, where we think of the perfection of the church, waiting for the return of Christ. So bride is used. And of course, Jesus is the bridegroom. And then we come to the picture of city. In the Gospels, you, you see the church pictured as a city on a hill with huge influence, lit up the beauty of the church, pointing to the coming kingdom. And then, of course, for the activist uh, people in Ephesians 6, you come to the picture of the church being like an army. And, uh, and so let me just uh, have a little experiment with you. And I'm going to ask you some questions. And don't feel intimidated by that. They're simple questions and there are no catches. And every answer is correct. But it'd be really helpful for me if you would comply with this, if you don't... Um, I, I'll, I'll hand back the meeting. But uh, what I'd like to do is ask the, a question. If I were to say the word church to you, what's the first word of these pictures that you identify with the most? So just have 30 seconds to think about which is the picture that you feel, this for me is exactly what I think of when I think of the church. Now, I know that you can think of a number, but the first, the, the first priority one. So let's, uh, let's do a little test. How many, uh, if I say church, would think family? Would you just raise your hand? Family. There's quite a lot of people who see the church as family. 
What about the image we've used of the word body? How many would think of the body of Christ, the body of Christ? Again, a good number of hands go up. How many people would think of the temple uh, as the church, where the presence of God comes and uh, living good, just a few people? You need to think about this a little because it's filtered through your gifts. So very often, people that really uh, think of the church as the uh, where the presence of God is found often would point to that picture of the temple. How many would think of the church as a city on a hill? Yeah. Again, a relatively small number, but it may be that some of you who've put your hands up will be thinking of the huge influence of the church into not just church life, but into uh, the structures of our world or into the marketplace, the city on a hill. And then let's do a little test. I would expect in this age range a good number uh, would put the hand up. How many see the church as an army? The army of the Lord. Yeah, an army. Now, great, thank you so much. The point I'm making is this, that every picture is identified with, with everyone in the church, if you like, who are... Uh, followers of Jesus. This tells me that when we talk about unity, let's think this thing through a little. When we think about unity, if you predominantly think of the church as an army, you're a doer, aren't you? You're a let's go out there. If you think of the church as a family, you're perhaps the sort that would say, let's just gather and let's worship some more, and let's look after the needs of people. Do you see how quickly there could be a little bit of tension between the army people and the family people? And these tensions are very real, but they are actually tensions that can be worked through because we see the church through the gift mix that we have, that God has graced us with. The point I'm making is every one of us in this picture of the church is very important. If there's just one picture, uh, everybody can't identify with that. But I believe if you go through the New Testament, and I'm not giving you every picture concerning the church, but every one of us are brought into this uh, picture of, of, of the church of Jesus. We're all a part of, uh, of the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit, etc., so uh, we are called uh, to be released into our specific gifting. We don't have to be like the person next door to us. We can be ourselves. And when Christ saves us, he gifts us uniquely. And he uses us, uh, you know, in the um, assemblies of God, they use the word assembly. I think it's a great word for church because we don't just come here to uh, kind of participate or spectate. We come to be assembled. We are put together. And therefore, when one person is missing, you might not feel this, but when one person is meeting, missing from a community of faith, the whole of the church feels that. Now you say, well, I don't do much. You know, I'm never seen. Yeah, but there are certain parts of the body that are never seen. Everyone who is a follower of Christ 
I believe is gifted by Christ. And you have to assemble the whole thing to see the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. Diversity within the body. So verse uh, 7 then goes into uh, a picture of how the ascended Christ, you remember when Jesus ascended, the Bible says here in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts to people. And I just want to share a few things about this. So in verse 11, and we'll put up the next uh, picture if we could. In, the, in verse 11, it says it was he, the ascended Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. I don't know if you've thought about this too much, but there are different gifts for specific things within the body of Christ. We've tended to think just in terms of one or two of these, perhaps uh, pastor-teacher and occasionally evangelists, but we are really hesitant to talk too much about apostles and prophets. But these five, we sometimes call them the fivefold ministry gifts of the ascended Christ, are vital for the full picture of the character of Christ to be manifest and seen in his church. And therefore, in the last 40 years or so, there's been a rediscovery that there are different gifts that are given in terms of ministry gifts given by Christ to the church uh, with specific um, ways of dealing with and seeing things. There are pastoral ministries, there are evangelistic ministries, there are apostolic ministries which uh, move outwards and pioneer new things. There are prophetic ministries that hear from God and speak the word of God. And so just as there are diverse pictures of the, uh, of the church in the New Testament, there are also diverse ministries. And uh, I believe that today we do have on planet earth apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. But I think there's a little weakness if we are always looking for ministry people that are the special people, and so we say, well, you know, he's a gifted evangelist, she's a gifted evangelist, there's an apostolic ministry, etc. But I want to suggest and that it's really helpful. Let's just backtrack a little. We together are the body of Christ. Jesus, when he ascended, gave gifts. It doesn't say to special people or to leaders. He gave gifts to the church. And so the very heart and character of Jesus is given to the church. And therefore, I believe that uh, throughout this uh, congregation tonight, there are apostolic ministries, there are prophetic ministries, there are pastoral hearts beating in chests tonight. There are uh, teachers uh, among us. And therefore, uh, were we to uh, measure the fullness, it talks about the fullness of Christ is when every part does its work. When every part of the body of Christ is released into their gifts, gifts that God has given. All of us are called to ministry. We're not all called to minister on platforms, but we're all called to minister. My eldest son came to me one day and said, Dad, I really admire what you're doing, but I don't want to do what you do. I said, I have no problem with that at all. Sometimes I wish I didn't do what I'm doing now. But he said, I feel as though I really want to follow God and give 
my whole uh, life to him. And I said, I said to him, yes, but you may be making the mistake that full-time ministry is the person that's on the platform with a microphone. No, we're all called to full-time ministry. And my son, you see, is, um, is a teacher. And, uh, and so I said to him, I said, do you feel called by God to teach? And he said, yes, I feel called by God to teach. So I said, well, why don't you become the best teacher? Because God has gifted you. Why don't you become the best teacher uh, that there is in your school? Why don't you believe that God will cause that to happen? Just as he took Daniel, I don't know if you have read about Daniel, but he was, uh, it says of Daniel, he was 10 times better than his contemporaries. Okay, 10 times better. Now, some of you are thinking, should Christians talk like this, being better than others? Stay with me for a minute or two. I said to, I said to my son, okay, if we're looking for great pastors, if we're looking for apostolic ministries that are going to change the world, why don't we look for teachers? Because actually, teachers have perhaps more influence than I'll ever have with lots of children coming through. So whatever uh, position of work place that you're in, I want to say to you, here's a challenge, be 10 times better than your contemporaries. See this as a ministry from God. So I set that challenge to, to my son, Andrew, and he picked it up. And then one day he said to uh, Irene and me, he said, uh, I've been put forward for the teacher of the year uh, in our region. Uh, would you like to come? Well, this was at Nottingham University, which is a 40-mile trip. But, of course, we wanted to come. And, of course, anything to do with our kids, Irene screams and yells and wants to support them. So we decided to go uh, to this. Uh, his name had been put forward for Teacher of the Year, so, uh, of the region. Uh, so we went. And to cut a long story short, because it's quite a long story, uh, he uh, got Teacher of the Year for the region. And so we're all excited, Irene's screaming, thinking this is wonderful. And then we find out that there are 14 regions uh, that have these uh, uh, Teacher of the Year process, and uh, that the 14 winners from the regions are put into a national event. And so uh, Andrew says, my name's forward uh, for the National Teacher of the Year. So I said, 10 times better. And he said, well, I'm not sure there was much faith in the family necessarily for this. But we, we went to a large theater in London. It was televised by BBC. And they go through the different age ranges of school for the teacher of the year. And they sent a film crew to film Andrew in his classrooms and... And uh, if, it's, if they get through, they use the footage of the films of the film. Anyway, we're there, and they go through all the categories, and it comes to the primary school teacher of the year, and uh, names are read out, and Andrew's name is read out. And then there's the moment where the celebrity comes, and oh, it's a bit like the Oscars, they open the envelope. And uh, Irene is sat, we're halfway down, in the theater, and she's nudging me. And she's saying, there's a cameraman just near us. I think he's getting it. I said, just settle down. And so um, 
they, they then open the envelope and they say the, the teacher of the year this year is Andrew Bell from Lincoln. And on TV... Yeah, great. And on TV, and I don't exaggerate, there is a screaming lady <laughs> yelling her head off because her little son received this accolade. Now, it's a little bit of a boast, but it's a, it's a good boast because I believe we need wonderful Christians in the marketplace. We need Christians in the business world. We need 10 times better hairdressers, don't we? We need, need 10 times better designers. We need some people that are going to make some breakthroughs in terms of education, in terms of medical things. You could be sat with the gifting of God in your life. You could be someone who is used by God to open incredible things for the kingdom of God. And I think it's time to step up and believe that. And not to think, well, you only make it in this church if you preach or if you teach the Bible. And, uh, you know, people that rush after microphones, uh, they're, they're a little bit strange. Let's get on with the work that God has given us. But also the church here, Hatfield, needs this generation to step up and begin to say, you know, I want the gifts that God has given to me to be released for the betterment of the church. I, I want to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Now, my time is uh, nearly through because I've digressed slightly, uh, but it's a nice story. <laughs> so there are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, but the body of Christ, I believe, has within it, listen to this, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I believe that as Jesus is the great apostle, Jesus the great prophet, Jesus the great pastor, teacher, Jesus, the great evangelist, when he gave gifts to the church, these gifts are given across the body of Christ. You are a gifted person. Those gifts need to be developed. They need to be honed. We need to be discipled. But within the church here is a wonderful expression of the body of Christ. Two more very quick points. The fourth thing is this, maturity within the body. Maturity in the body. Verse 12 and 13, it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we think about full gospel churches. I think we ought to think of whole measure of the fullness of Christ churches, where Christ is seen and evidenced through a people who are united together. Huge diversity, but wonderful unity. Well, we've all got to grow up, haven't we? Irene says this to me on a regular occasions, on regular occasions. We've got to grow up. We've got to be mature. You know, somebody says something, we get all upset. And I just want to say, let's not opt out of family, you know, when the pressure gets tough. Just want to say, you can come through the storms. It's easy to say, but if you live long enough, you get the storms. If you, all of us are going to go through stuff. 
And a mature Christian is one who is going to see it through. And we're going to stand together. So maturity uh, in the body. As we all grow and mature, the life and character of Christ grows in us. And we better represent him in the world. We talk here of the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then the final thing here is stability within the body. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. You know, mature people, uh, mature Christians resist new teachings uh, and deceitful schemings. You know, we don't have to go with the latest thing that blows through. We need to keep connected to the fundamentals of our faith, the orthodox things that have been handed to us. It doesn't mean we don't learn new things. Of course we do. But we don't just want to go with every new wind of change. Secondly, mature Christians release truth and love into the body. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Mature Christians recognize Jesus as the head of the church. It says, from him, that's Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So my exhortation to you today is, you're a part of the body of Christ, get working. The grace of God is upon your life. The fullness of the expression of that is seen as we together grow in grace and in a knowledge of Christ. And the future of this church is dependent upon you and dependent upon me, maturing and growing in the faith, which will lead to stability and strength when the winds of change come. So may I just pray for you that God will bless you and make you a kingdom people. And I, I just feel to declare over you ten times better. Ten times. Get up tomorrow and say ten times better. Go into your place of education, your place of work, with a new sense of the call of, of God upon your life. The church is meant to be mission-shaped, where we go out and share the good news of Jesus. And finally, 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 you really matter. In the presence of God, your gifts, your skills, your ability, and your heart are essential to the future of the church. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness over our lives this day. Thank you for this great group of young adults who are really seeking wholeheartedly to follow you. I just pray today for a few more steps forward. I pray that heads will be raised today, a sense of expectation, what you can do with us. And for any that are struggling with their identity or their position in life, I just pray that you give a revelation today of the church of Jesus Christ and also a revelation that there should be an equipping of the church, all of us, for the work of the ministry as we go out into our world tomorrow morning. I therefore bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much.